Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Whether it's planning a trip to the beach, a hike in the bush, or making key decisions important for your livelihood, or to save lives. The weather impacts all of us, and accurate forecasting has become so important. So, what's on the horizon for the next while? Newa is officially declaring El Nino today. Climate scientists are blaming the ferocious gales that battered large parts of the country this week on the El Nino weather pattern, joining forces with climate change in spring. The number of cyclones in the South Pacific is expected to increase this year because of El Nino. No mai harumai kiteau hurihanga. Hello and welcome to our changing world, Kōklakin Kanan Tene. That's right, it's an El Nino year. And you probably know this already if you've paid any attention to news or forecasts over the last while. Today we're going to give El Nino and forecasting the ever-changing world treatment and dig in just a little bit deeper. What exactly is El Nino? What will it mean for our weather? And what are the other factors popping up this year that might make weather predictions just a little bit more complicated? Our guide on this journey is Niwa meteorologist Tristan Mayers, whose interest in weather started quite early on. I grew up in California, and California has really bad bushfires and wildfires, as they call them there. And I recall when I was growing up, hanging out with my friends, and there just being huge plumes of ash raining down on us in our neighborhoods. And we were in suburban California, and it just got me really thinking about it. And we also had these powerful winds called the, they call them there the Santa Ana winds, but what they do is they just, they're dry, hot winds that flame fires, that cause fires to just kind of burn out of control. And it was just a really interesting phenomenon to me. I think from then I was really interested in the weather and, and what that's doing. Then I moved to Australia and Australia has even worse bushfires. So I got even, you know, more interested in it there. And um, yeah, I decided to study it at university and eventually did my master's in it. Tristan's job involves a wide range of things, but in general, he does a lot of forecasting. From nowcasts, which is a forecast for the next few hours, through to subseasonal, which is like 10 days to a month, to seasonal, which is what the weather is going to be doing generally over, say, winter or summer. Of course, when I think of forecasting, I think of someone standing in front of a map of the country with little suns or clouds scattered across different regions. But what's going on behind the scenes? Weather forecasting is one of these complex, amazing scientific advancements that we've had over the last 60, 70 years or so that is kind of quiet and in the background. We depend on weather all the time in our lives, and we depend on these high-powered supercomputers running all across the globe to assimilate 
terabytes to petabytes of satellite data, ship observations, observations from aircraft and home weather stations and deliver forecasts and churn out forecasts going out seven days and all the post-processing and all the science that goes into that is distilled into a little sun icon on our screen that we look at every single morning or that some Yahoo like me presents that on the evening news or something like that. Um, but it's quite an impressive thing. Um, we're modeling the whole atmosphere. And as we all know, the weather is very tricky to get right. We don't claim to be, and no one claims to be 100% correct. We like to think we're correct a lot of the time. But generating a forecast is, is a tricky thing. And there's a reason why people go through years and years of training in order to get good at forecasting. It's because you need to know a lot about the physics of the atmosphere. You need to know a lot about your local environment. And you need to know about the limitations of modeling itself. But... As is the case for many roles, AI is changing the game for forecasters. One of the traditional ways a forecaster goes about things is to add value to raw model data that comes straight out of a supercomputer, right? How can we add value to that? So that's the traditional approach of doing it, where you look at it and you're like, oh, I know that this model sometimes is a little bit incorrect here, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna correct for that. But with the advancement of artificial intelligence and machine learning, those jobs are not as important as they once were. And also, with the advent of very high-resolution weather forecasts, NIWA runs a 1.5-kilometer resolution uh, weather forecast for New Zealand, that job is becoming less and less essential than it once was. So what a forecaster is evolving into and what they really do these days is talk about impacts. So you could look at your phone and be like, oh, it's going to be sunny and 26 degrees. But what a forecaster will say is they'll say, there's going to be bad fire weather today and there's a risk of fires burning and getting out of control. Or there's a risk of loss of livestock because it's going to be cold and that freezing level is going to be dropping during the afternoon. So talking about the impacts is really where things are evolving these days and what a forecaster can do not only in the short time span but now looking at the sub-seasonal and seasonal time spans right like the number of hot days we're expecting this season is going to be higher than normal or the number of growing degree days the number of days where we can you know plant growth is actually happening is going to be higher than what we would usually expect rather than just saying it's going to be wet or dry you try to go that extra step further now. And that's essential because that's what people want to know. Speaking of seasonal outlooks, the NIWA seasonal climate outlook for October to December 2023 begins with El Nino has officially arrived. Okay, cool. It's here. But what is it? El Nino refers to a patch of oceans thousands of kilometers away in the Pacific. It's near, well, it's on the equator. There's a place where we measure sea surface temperatures, and we keep a very close eye on that. And when they become warmer than normal for an extended period of time over this area, which is quite large, it's a big box that extends thousands of kilometers, but once that box of sea surface temperatures straddling the equator becomes warmer than normal above a certain threshold for an extended period of time, that's when weather circulation patterns start changing. The atmosphere starts responding to that, and all that heat there starts getting distributed across the globe in different ways. And that, in turn, makes it such that circulation patterns in New Zealand are a bit different than they usually would over spring and summer. And that means that, well, we get more westerlies during El Nino. The ocean heats, the atmosphere responds, the circulation changes, which all translates into westerlies for Aotearoa. But what are the other options? 
If it's not an El Nino time, if that patch of ocean isn't unusually warm, what do we have instead? There's La Nina, which you might have been hearing us harp on about for the last three years or so. And that's kind of the, the opposite. Instead of being warmer than normal in this patch of ocean, it's actually cooler than normal. And again, that causes a redistribution of heat across the globe. It causes circulation patterns to change in the tropics. And then that, in turn, changes what happens in New Zealand. It's interesting that we care so much about what happens in the tropics. It's hundreds to thousands of kilometers away. But that's where a lot of our moisture, a lot of our heat, a lot of the energy in the atmosphere comes from. And so if it's all there, it needs to go somewhere else. And it comes to us in New Zealand. So we, we pay a lot of attention to El Nino and La Nina. But also, if we're not in El Nino or La Nina, sometimes we can just be in neutral conditions. Nothing can be happening. It can be looking reasonably normal. But more often than not, there's always some climate driver at play influencing our circulation patterns here in New Zealand. Yep, there always seems to be something. And actually, this year, El Nino isn't the only gig in town. A second climate driver has also popped its head up. Yeah, kind of the cousin of El Nino you can think of. So El Nino is a phenomenon that occurs in the Pacific Ocean. So we have, uh, you know, the warmer than normal conditions for an area that changes the circulation patterns across parts of the Pacific Ocean. Uh, but if we look to the Indian Ocean, so the other side of Australia, right, this kind of, you have a similar thing happen there. You have an area of warmer than normal or cooler than normal sea surface temperatures that occur. And right now we're in an event called an Indian Ocean Dipole Positive Event. So it's a lot of word salad there. But what that means is that off the northwest coast of Australia right now, there is cooler than normal sea surface temperatures. And why do we care about that? Well, a lot of our rainmakers actually originate from that area. So if there's cooler than normal sea surface temperatures there, there's less evaporation of that water into the atmosphere, and there's less availability for water to make its way further south to us in atmospheric rivers or other systems. The positive Indian Ocean Dipole was attributed to the large-scale drought event that we experienced in 2019-2020. The Agriculture Minister has made a drought declaration that covers the entire North Island, parts of the South Island and the Chatham Islands. Could that be what we are heading into for this summer? As Tristan said, El Nino tends to bring powerful westerly winds. And well, in case you haven't noticed, these have been showing up already. Fueling fires, causing flights to be cancelled and even knocking over a truck and a campervan in Canterbury. The El Nino-driven westerlies tend to bring rain to the west coast, but dryness for the north and east. But if you add in the positive Indian dipole with that colder ocean patch, does that further reduce the amount of rain coming? What we look at when we see these climate drivers is because we can't forecast what the weather is going to be doing 30 days from now. We just can't. What we can see, though, are trends and themes. To our north is where the tropics are and the tropics is the source of a lot of moisture for us in New Zealand. Those big atmospheric rivers that we've heard, or the Auckland anniversary floods that happen, the moisture from that all originated from the tropics. Cyclone Gabriel, that came from the tropics. Those big rainfall events. And so in the tropics, if you're kind of turning the tap off there, then you just don't get those rain events happening as much as they usually would. And that's what we're seeing this year. These two climate drivers added on top of each other, the Indian Ocean Dipole in its positive phase, and El Nino, 
mean that we just don't have the same moisture availability to our north. And for New Zealand and our circulation patterns, that means a reduced frequency in those big rainfall events. So seasonally, we're looking at reduced big rainfall events, strong westerly winds, and periods of dryness and maybe even drought, particularly for those areas on the east coast. And Tristan says, some hot days. And this season, you know, we could get some pretty hot air coming from Australia. Last year, 2022, we didn't even see a day above 35 degrees in New Zealand at all, which is pretty rare. Um, but this year, I'm thinking we're probably going to be seeing that 35, 36, maybe even higher than that heat at some point, just due to these climate drivers that we have. And this year, we're also, unfortunately, breaking records again globally in terms of temperatures that the that the world is hitting yeah. do we know how that layers on top of el nino and a positive indian ocean dipole yeah it's a really really good question and honestly we don't I mean, we were trying to understand it in real time but it's kind of uncharted territory that we have one of the techniques we use when we look months ahead is we try to look back in our past and we say well in the past, have we seen anything similar occur in our climate? So, for instance, this year, we have an El Nino. When's the last time we had an El Nino that was significant? Well, 2015 to 2016 was a strong El Nino. So we look at that and we say, well, what were the impacts on New Zealand in 2015 to 2016? And can we see if those will be you know, applicable to us this year? But one of the things we're seeing when we look at these historical years is that it's not quite matching up. And the reason is, is because sea surface temperatures are warm everywhere this year. If you were to look at a map of sea surface temperature relative to normal across the globe right now, you'd be hard pressed to find anywhere that was cooler than normal. The earth is baking at the moment. And what that means is, well, we could, even though we're in El Nino and a positive Indian Ocean dipole, having warm seas all around us and to our north, that's just sources of moisture. And so we could still get a few uh, heavy rainfall events this season. So it's a very, very tricky period to be forecasting. And really, we're in uncharted waters at the moment. Tristan says it's hard to attribute specific weather events directly to climate change. But many events do appear to have a climate change fingerprint on them. Cyclone Lola might be an example of this. It was the earliest Category 5 cyclone on record for the Southern Hemisphere, the remnants of which resulted in a big rainfall event in the North just earlier this week. But I ask him, in an era of AI and supercomputers, can't you just chuck all the information in and let it spit out an answer? I wish. I wish there was a chat GPT that could tell me exactly what I wanted from it. But unfortunately, we're not there as yet. Now, we have a few different ways of doing this. Thankfully, these seasonal models that go out three months at a time, there's a whole collection of them. There's over a dozen of them. We actually look at them and we survey them and we take a look at what's similar, what's different between all of them. And so we do use that. And these seasonal models are great because they're based on physics. Now, what that means is it knows what the state of the ocean is right now. It knows what the state of the atmosphere is right now. It doesn't matter if it's uncharted charted territory. The physics is going to work in the same way, in theory. And so it will deliver us a projection based on that. And that is one source of guidance that we use. So these supercomputers, they churn away, and they know the current state of the atmosphere, and they use physics 
to get us further. We also leverage uh, AI and machine learning here at NEWA because whatever we can do to get better at forecasting, we're going to use because that benefit will pass on downstream to all of us Kiwis. Um, so we use that particularly in our sub-seasonal forecasting and we increase the resolution and we can get impacts of the forecast as well and improve on the accuracy of models. But then we also use our historical way of forecasting where we look back in time and we say, well, this year was similar to 2015 to 2016, or it was similar to 1996 or 1982, for instance. So we, what we can do is we can look at that historical approach and then on the side over here, we can look at the actual weather models that are churning away, they're generating these seasonal uh, forecasts. And if the two agree with each other, then we have two independent methods that are giving us a similar forecast. And we can have a high confidence about that. We can say, oh, look at these two methods. They have, they're basically saying the same thing. So we can give you a high confidence in that. Now, with this, what we're seeing right now, we actually have a pretty high confidence because they are agreeing with each other to a degree. There are some differences between them. But the impacts in New Zealand, it does seem like both the historical analog method of forecasting, where we find examples from history, and also the uh, seasonal projections, as well as our machine learning based methods, they're all agreeing. So we have a higher than normal confidence on some of these outcomes over spring and into summer. Is there a fear there that the impacts of climate change will just result in totally unexpected, unforecastable outcomes? Mm. It's interesting. So if you're using a physics based model, so something that knows is, is actually looking at what the current ocean temperatures are, what the atmosphere looks like at that point in time, actually knows it, then you should be okay. You should be fine. But if you look at maybe a machine learning based model or an AI model, what they have to do, those AI models, is they are trained or they're given vast quantities of data, petabytes of data of what's happened in the past, and then they project forward based on that. And because of that, there's still a bit of an ongoing debate about how well do AI models, purely AI models, capture things in a warming climate. And so that's actually something we're investigating here at NEWA as well. But if you have a physics-based model, you should be fine there. I will say, though, with these extreme events that we're getting, even physics-based models can get them wrong because they're so extreme. For instance, the Auckland anniversary floods that was so extreme. We had rainfall rates of hundreds of millimeters in just a few short hours falling in Auckland, unprecedented flooding there. And even though we run high resolution weather models that have all that information in them, and they did pick that it was gonna be really heavy rain there, it was still not enough for the rain that we actually forecast. And one of the things that can happen when you have a change in climate is you can have the movement of extremes. So what do I exactly mean by that? So an extreme is something that doesn't happen very much, right? It's sort of outside the normal bounds. This is the like one in 100 year flood That's kind right. of label that we put on things. That's right. But think about a one in 100 year flood. That's something that can happen over a few days, right? Uh, what happened in Gabriel happened over a few days. It's a one in you know, 100 year event, let's say. I'm not sure about the exact number, let's just call it that. But then you can have something that happens over a long time period, like a one in 100 year drought. The drought has developed over months, but you haven't seen any rainfall in these areas in months. So you have these different time periods of extremes happening. And then with the changing climate, 
they start overlapping with each other. So you have a one in 100 year drought that's been lasting six months, coupled with a one in 100 year rainfall event. And the impact of that is so much worse than if you were to just have one of those things happening at one time. So one of the things that we look at when we're doing these forecasts is are there overlapping extremes happening? Because if you have overlapping extremes occurring at the same time, that's when you have very, very bad impacts. And that's what happens in a changing climate. I guess not something that's happened here in uh, New Zealand, but what happened in Australia with the bushfires, and we got the smoke of that in 2020, if you can cast your, your mind back to that pre-COVID days, believe it or not, but that was an overlapping extreme. So that was drought that happened over a long time period, and then searing hot weather and powerful winds. Overlapping extremes caused some of the worst bushfires we've seen in the modern age. All right, back to the upcoming season, where Tristan says the models are agreeing and they have relatively high confidence. What do we need to be thinking about over the next few months? Well, number one, this year will not be like last year. The key headline, if I could get anyone to take it away, is this year is very different to last year. Last year was La Nina, this year we're in El Nino. So whatever methods you were using, whether you're a primary producer, last year might not work this year because the climate drivers are different. And we've been in La Nina for three years prior to this, so you might have been in the habit of you know, doing things a certain way because it's been so wet, but that is not going to be the case this year. It is very different. Two, expect hot days. With El Nino, we see an increased frequency of hot days during late spring and into summer. When we see you know, temperatures above 25 degrees, that's what we define as a hot day more frequently. But we could even see temperatures in the mid-30s, maybe even high 30s at times. We haven't had that for a while in New Zealand, so I think one of the pieces of advice I would give people is... Remind yourself what you should do on a very hot day. You know, ch check on your elderly relatives. Make sure your pets have plenty of water. Don't leave people in the car. Common sense stuff, but it's easy to forget these things if we haven't experienced it in a while. Three, prepare for drought, especially in those eastern areas. Just think about what you would be doing in the situation where you would, you know, you have, you're encountering a dry spell that you might not have had for the last three years or so, and you're looking down the barrel of another month's worth of very little rainfall, what would you be doing in that situation? Four, keep fire risk in mind. It is looking like this year the fire season is going to be worse than normal, particularly for Hawke's Bay, Canterbury, parts of Marlborough, Otago region, maybe even parts of Southland as well, Wydenapa, basically Eastern areas and maybe even the Bay of Plenty. So with that in mind, start getting your fire preparations in order now and make sure you check it's all right before you light because some areas might have already started to move into fire restrictions, so you need to be keeping up to date with that. As we sit talking, Tristan has his phone directly in front of him. Now he's turned it to silent, but he's keeping a keen eye on it any time it vibrates slightly to alert to a message. And this is because he's on call. Niwa partners with Fire and Emergency New Zealand, and if a fire starts burning and Fens needs a weather forecast, they'll be calling this phone. Fire and the weather are intrinsically linked to each other. Um, one influences the other. And if you have a fire that is large, you need to understand how you're going to be combating that fire. And so you need a weather forecast for it. So because I'm on call at the moment, I could, if a fire breaks out, for instance, in Canterbury or Hawke's Bay, due to the winds and the, uh, what we've been having recently, I have to turn around a forecast within, we try to do 30 minutes or so. Um, so I'm on call for that. and. 
we use in order to do that, you know, current observations, what's happening right now, whether it's you know, looking at observations of wind speed and temperature, but you're also using high resolution weather models. We do have a 1.5 kilometer resolution weather model here, which is really, really helpful for New Zealand, because as you can imagine, New Zealand is incredibly varied with its topography. I mean, we go from sea level to three kilometers above sea level in the space of a few kilometers and normal free and global weather models that people might be aware of, you know, you can get them at Windy or just freely available online. The resolution of those is about nine or even 20 kilometers. That's like, that is a single grid cell and that can that is, that is way too coarse for New Zealand. So we run this 1.5 kilometer resolution, which can account for the vast differences in topography. Cause as you can imagine, mountain ranges have a huge influence on um, what the weather is going to be. And if your weather model is really coarse, 20 kilometer resolution, it's just not capturing that sort of a thing. The actual mountain range is flattened in those models. So we, we capture it a lot better in these. So I can get a call and then I'll, jump on and disseminate a forecast within 30 minutes and yeah, sort of just stand by all the time. So we have a few partners that we do that for. And this is 24-7, there's always somebody on call. Always somebody on call at the new forecasting desk. So whether I get a call at 2 a.m. on Christmas Eve or whatever it is, you gotta get up, do the forecast and, and get going. I mean, which is fine. I mean, this is why we do it, you know. The weather doesn't stop, and uh, this is this is part of the job, really. So, um, operational support for important decision making. In those two a.m. phone calls, mm. when they happen, do they kind of ground you to the reality of what the forecasting is about? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm I'm a. I'm a desk jockey, right? I sit behind my desk in my ivory tower looking at a fancy computer screen, weather models all day long. But when you're talking to someone on the ground at fire and emergency, it makes everything really real for you. They don't care about what the phase of any climate driver is in that moment. They need to know what the winds are doing in the next hour or so because it has real consequences on real people. And I guess that's the thing about forecasting. Ultimately, it's about people. The weather impacts us all. And so with the models and AI and supercomputers all churning away in the background, the advances in accurate forecasting has kind of revolutionised how we live and work and prepare. And as the climate changes and the models adapt to help us forecast our new weather, hopefully we'll be able to adapt to it too. Thanks to Tristan Mayers, meteorologist and forecaster at NIWA, the National Institute of Water and Atmospheric Research. If you want to know more, NIWA have a range of forecasting tools on their webpage, including their seasonal and longer-term climate outlooks. Go to niwa.co.nz. Ko Clerken Kananaho, te kaiho tu o tēnei hōtaka i āwhina mai a Ellen Rikers. I produced this one with help from Ellen Rikers. Sound engineering was by Steve Burridge and Tim Watkin is executive producer of podcasts and series at RNZ. Our show webpage is at rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. And you can say hi to us by emailing ourchangingworld at rnz.co.nz or send us a message on Facebook or X where we are at RNZ Science. Kia faia itiau hurihanga ite tahi taupanga paiake kia kwe. Follow the Our Changing World podcast on your favorite podcast app. Te i mai. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Claire Kincannon. Have a great week. Kia pai de wiki.
Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.